right. Uh, so good day. Welcome, everybody. So today's guest is our COO, Melissa Viscovic. Uh, although by the time this airs, she may not be anymore. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, it's so great to have you on today. So I guess I'll say welcome first. Hello. Thank you. Good afternoon. Great to be here. Okay. And uh, I know that just the presence of me with the microphone makes you nervous, but we're just going to have to see. We're just going to muddle through this a little bit. Um, but no, I just uh, I wanted to, uh, to to do this and interview you before you uh, uh, left or sailed away from our shores, because so much of the knowledge of this industry, the history of this industry is in your head. And uh, so I want to get that all down on. Uh, well, not really on paper, actually, um, you know. On, on actually a disk drive or something like that. Um, so, okay. So, you know, the, the uh, Alex Campos interview, you know, his family came, you know, from Cuba and the refugees, this incredible story. So I'm hoping you can beat that story somehow or other. I'm sure the hardship. That's going to be tough <laughs> to do. That's going to be tough to do. Okay. So this is so funny. Uh, as long as I've known you, as well as I know you, I don't know you're, where you were born. Where were you born? I was born on Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Technically, Fairborn. Wow. Fairborn, Ohio. Okay. Okay. So, uh, dad, military. Right. Yeah. So, my parents um, are both from Cincinnati. They met there. Um, my dad joined the Air Force right out of college, or I guess he was an ROTC in college. They started off as a young married couple. Um, shortly after having me, uh, my dad shipped off to the Philippines. Um, my mom joined him a few months later with a baby on her lap. I think about that now when I fly across country. Um, I have enough trouble traveling with my carry-on, never mind a, a baby. So that impresses me. I think about that now as a mom, and I think that was pretty amazing. Um, moving to somewhere so far away from where she was from, and both of them, and starting a life and starting a family. So uh, yeah, after that, moved about every two to three years all over the country, a couple of international stops. Um, a year or so without my dad when he went over to Saudi Arabia and other places. So it was a, um, a great way to grow up in that I saw the world. Um, I've driven back and forth across the country. I don't know how many times. And I, um, I think, you know, military families either become closer because of it and rely on family and friends to get through what can be challenging sometimes, or they fall apart. And we were one of the lucky ones. We were surrounded by a great military family. Um, we didn't see our extended family very often, but um, it was a great way to grow up. I saw the world, I saw the country, um, and was really lucky to to have that experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so actually, I, was, I got to ask about this at the end, but because it's relevant, uh, you just had a very special experience with your dad. What was that about? I did. I did. So my dad flew in from Cincinnati here to D.C. with 80 some other veterans um, from Vietnam, Korean and World War II. Uh, they came into D.C. as part of the honor flight program and um, spent the day in Washington visiting the various memorials around the city. Um, and I got to serve as my dad's guardian, which was pretty special. He was also joined by one of his closest friends um, from when he was stationed here at the Pentagon a Navy guy um, who has been a family friend for a long time. So it was an amazing way to spend the day. And, you know, my dad is lucky in that he um, came home to a warm welcome when he was in far flung places. Not everyone did. So I was really able to experience firsthand the fact that some of these gentlemen, especially uh, and women 
who came back from places like Vietnam and Korea never really got the the welcome they deserved. And all these years later, it still means something to them to um, to feel appreciated, to see uh, the memorials that that honor their fallen friends. And it was a, it was a really emotional day, amazing and emotional. And as I've told the team at Napio, I encourage everyone if you uh, have the chance at some point to be part of an honor flight, either cheering them on, cheering them on at the airport or joining them on a flight. It's it's a really amazing experience. So uh, it was a, a great way to spend the day. Well, that's great. It's great. I know you're so thrilled that you're there. And and you know, uh, I said this on Facebook that you know, uh, being in D.C., uh, I've been to so many just because my Lights are there, right? And they obviously they come into DC. And so it's just been so great and so emotional to be a part of it when people come in. It really has been terrific. So um, so let's see. Okay, so you went to high school in Tampa? Part of the time. Uh, I spent part of the time in Tampa and part of the part of the time in Virginia. Um, so moved twice during high school, which is exciting. Um, but landed at the College of William and Mary down in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, spent four years there. Uh, Made a, a lot of great friends who are still my friends today and um, met my husband. Um, so I consider that, along with the diploma, two great outcomes from going to William & Mary. <laughs> um, but yeah, great school. And sadly, neither of my daughters has ended up there. But, um, you know, it's uh, I still like to go back and visit. And it's it's an important part of my life. I really uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, obviously. And the sorority was? What's, what's the, uh, uh, Tridels, yep. Yeah. Try Del, try Del. Okay, I'll get one of these days. I'm not much on Greek. Um, so then, uh, yeah, I know you came to uh, the PEO industry pretty soon after that, eventually. Um, so yeah, how, how did that happen? What was yeah, so I started out, yeah, just out of college. I spent my first year or so um, going through Hugh McCall's management training program at Nations Bank, which is now Bank of America. And it was actually a great place to start. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was an English major, once, uh, much probably to my parents' chagrin. Um, I didn't want to be a teacher. I just liked writing and reading. So I kind of studied what I liked, which actually was my dad's advice. So I blame him. Um, but yeah, coming out of college, I found my way into Bank of America and uh, now, I guess, then Nations Bank and went through their management training program, um, got exposed to a little bit of financial services, which was interesting. Um, but then I did what any good college educated young woman does. I chased after my boyfriend and moved to DC. <laughs> and at the time I was living with a, a friend of mine from college who was working for an association management firm. And I used to, we used to share a car. She didn't have a car. So I would drop her off in Roslyn on the curb at AMG and eventually realized I wasn't really in love with my banking career. So I was like, Hey, what is it that you do again? I don't even know what an association is. And She's like, oh, you know, we plan events and, you know, put on programs and, you know, develop member services. I was like, well, that sounds pretty easy. Like, sign me up. So I started out at um, the association management company um, working for a fiberglass uh, association. So I spent about two years um, taking people on plant tours, learning how boats are made and bathtubs and underground storage tanks. And I put on my safety goggles and my overalls and tromp around in, in factories. So it was pretty cool. I did membership for them. And along the way, when I was working there, I um, th this association management company had one printer for like the entire company, 75 employees, one printer. And so I spent a lot of my day as a junior association employee waiting for the documents to print. And I would hang out back by the printer. And I met this guy, Mylon Yeager, who worked on another client. He worked for Napio. 
And we just struck up a conversation, which turned into a friendship. And at some point along the way, uh, Napio's board approached Mylan, who was the executive director at the time, and said, hey, I think we can do this Napio gig on our own. Um, we want to set up our own offices, and we'd like you to put a team together and and take the group captive was the term they used. So I, um, I got pulled into that. Um, I interviewed with Kirk Scoggins um, in a Chinese restaurant in the bottom floor of our office building and um, ended up you know, getting the job. And uh, yeah, that was in 1996. I was going to say, yeah, so it's 96. Yeah. I actually um, worked, as I've told people before, I worked my first Napio conference in 1995 at the Broadmoor. Um, because they were shorthanded and I got pulled over from another client and AMG said, Hey, can you go help work registration and help out at their conference? So that was the first time I met, uh, gosh, uh, a bunch of folks that are not many of whom are still involved today, but, um, got to meet some of the Napio members. Um, and, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a totally different vibe than the fiberglass guys, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, I was like, wow, the Broadmoor, this is pretty nice. This is better than the days in, in West Virginia. So I, I might be in on this. So no, anyway, it was a, a great introduction to Napio. And then about a, a little less than a year later, I became part of the, the permanent team and we uh, packed up our boxes and we kind of got unceremoniously kicked to the curb from AMG. They weren't that happy, but we, uh, made our way over to Alexandria and set up our first little office, first at Barry's kitchen table. And then eventually we found some office space on South Pitt Street or North Pitt Street, sorry. And that was the start of Napio's uh, independent offices in the summer of 96. So how many of you were? Uh, let's see, we were four. Um, we <laughs> we hired our first uh, new employee from outside of the, the management firm and our we had a, a receptionist we hired through the senior employment service because we couldn't afford a full-time employee. So we hired a part-time woman who had just retired from the scarf uh, department at Woody's nice. and she was looking for something to do for a few hours a day. So we asked her if she could answer the phone and she did that and also baked us apple strudels. She was amazing. Um yeah. Where where is she today? We could use her. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, she passed. Uh, she was a, oh, a really right. great, uh, great part of our team. And uh, yeah. I just have so many fond memories of her. She used to water our artificial plants and again, bake us Norwegian <laughs> desserts You know, in the morning as we came into the office. And uh, she was a, um, a great woman, a great character and a, a great part of our little startup team that we had. Yeah. So there are four of you. What, what were you doing? So um, at the time, we kind of divvied things up. Um, I took membership and technology, which was a box, a, a banker's box of files. We didn't even have a database. So we, one of my first jobs was to figure out who our members were. And I think this is back in the days of the dot matrix printers. I think I had a stack of uh, dot matrix printouts that they had thrown out the door with us. So I worked on membership and a database. Uh, Barry, who was our... Uh, she handled our events. And then at the end of the day, she decided to help start a magazine. So she did the, the editorial and I did the advertising. So I sold ads and um, Mylan was kind of government affairs and keeping the lights on. And then we had a woman named Sally, who was sort of our, what I am now, kind of our operations person. She was, uh, she was also kind of part-time and had a baby about that time. And she ended up healing off pretty quickly. Um, and then we also had a chapter person pretty early on who was helping out. So it was a, a little, you know, little startup crew. And we just kind of sat around this table and said, what do you want to do? And divided it up. So it was pretty informal. And how many members did we have? You know, I was looking at that before the call. because I knew you'd ask a question about that at the time. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we were still fairly small back then, but I mean, not 
smaller than what we are now in terms of number of companies. Um, I remember a really big moment um, in 2000 when we cleared 500 members, PEO members. And that was a really big wow. moment. Um, but I, I feel like we must have been in the 300s when I first started. Um, I remember our total budget was about $800,000. And I remember also big deal was moving our dues cap from 20,000 to 25,000. And whoa, that was a big uh, series. Yeah, big deal. Yeah. Big deal. Um, so, uh, and there was a time, I don't know when, uh, where the staff was pretty stout and we were doing training. Was that then or was that later? Yeah, it was a little bit later. Um, it was, well, I say a little bit later. It was just a couple years later. By 99, um, we were offering a bunch of PEO university workshops. So um, a lot of money coming into the industry, a lot of startups coming in, and everyone wanted to know how to be a PEO. So we put together um, a, what we call PEO university that was hatched in 1998. And we put together a whole series of half-day workshops, um, a bunch of members, some of whom are still involved today, were kind of uh, content captains for those half-day workshops and helped us put the content together. And we kind of went on the road and we would offer these PEO university classes in kind of two-day, you know, four half-day programs over two days in a variety of cities, usually kind of easy to access cities, Chicago, Tampa, Philly. Um, and we just traveled around, but we really grew our events department to manage all of those. Um, our events were really strong. We were getting really big crowds at our conventions. Um, I remember in 1996, we went to Hawaii. That was our first conference uh, as a new organization. And I mean, just the the, the uh, guys from the investment community just chasing anybody around who would talk to them about PEO. Literally anywhere. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't turn a corner without having one of them tackle you. So... Um, yeah, it was a great time. It was a, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. Um, I remember, you know, Administaff went public right about the time I started in the mid-90s. And that was really exciting for the industry. I mean, some of the big PEOs, paychecks was already in the space and they were already publicly traded. But, you know, Administaff now in Sparity was one of the first ones to go public in a big way. And that was really exciting to be a, a witness to that. And um, you know, Richard Rawson at the time was helping to host events up in New York City to, to invite interest from the capital markets. And it was, a, it was a really exciting time to be involved. And the, the PEO University that you're talking about is uh, was how to start a PEO. It wasn't like, like we do now, PEO University about, you know, UI or, you know, co-employment stuff, but it was about how to start one. Uh, well, actually, it was all the, the different half-day programs were in different subject areas. So similar today, we had one on retirement plans, one on finance and accounting, one on sales and marketing. Um, in addition to providing all this education for the startups, we were also trying to help people uh, prepare for a certification exam. So at the time, Napio had a CPEO uh, certification program, um, and individuals would take an exam and, and earn the certification. Um, we also spent about three years fighting over what the correct answers were to the test questions. So we eventually threw up our hands and said, this is impossible. Um, and as we often, you hear us quoted today a lot, is if you've seen one PEO, you've seen one PEO, which is what made it really hard to write an objective exam that everyone could agree on the answers to. <laughs> so the, uh, yeah. for a while, there was a, a certified PEO uh, designation that individuals could use. I guess CPES it was called, Certified Professional Employment Specialist. And uh that had been in place when I came on board. It lasted a, a couple more years, but we we struggled to to find an objective way to to measure people's competence, and yeah. uh, eventually decided that we were better to focus just on educating um, in general and staying away from a certification program. Yep. 
So who do you remember from those early days? Was uh, Carlos Rodriguez Sr. around? He was, and he's one of the most, um, I mean, he just stands out in my mind because he was just such a such a presence and such an amazing personality. Um, you know, back in the day, and you know, I think people, uh, some of the folks, Greg Packer, Kathleen Hillegas, others who are still around today would, would remember these days where board meetings were really heated affairs. I mean, we were trying to, to invent an industry and there were very strong opinions about how that should look and, you know, what we should call it and how it should behave and what was allowed and not allowed. And I remember, you know, Carlos is a, a big personality and a big voice and a big presence in the room. And, you know, there were fists pounding the tabletop and papers being slammed down. But at the end of the day, you know, they were all friends, um, dear friends, and they worked through all those differences and found a way forward. But yeah, you know, I think uh, Mike Gatsis, Rick Fish, there were a number of guys involved in those early years. Uh, I mentioned Kirk Scoggins already. Um, you know, Paul Sarbati, certainly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kent was a little before my time. I mean, Kate was still involved. His son Craig is still involved today. Um, you know, I was about, I guess, what twenty years after the founding. No, ten years after the founding. So I wasn't there for those very, very early years. But certainly, um, you know, gosh, Greg Packer was around then. I remember him from the '96 convention, and um, so a lot of the uh, the people who were involved then are the people who invented this industry, and that was a pretty exciting place to be. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, and it is amazing to me the, the DNA, like uh, how far back it goes, and how many people uh, have stayed involved and still are involved. That we see that we're here, you know, at the at the birth. What? Um, okay, so from '96 forward, so then what? What happened? And then the place grew. I mean, employees, like more employees and more budget, or yeah, yeah. We kept. It's funny. Our little office space over um, at 901 North Pitt Street started out as sort of a a square office space up on the third floor. We had to relocate to the first floor to make room for all these extra new employees. And, and we added government affairs people. We added a general counsel. Um, there were a few general counsels through the years, but obviously Bill Schilling is one that sticks in my mind. He was with us the longest um, during those years. Sure. Um, but yeah, we kept, so we kept leasing space uh, that was attached in kind of a serpentine way. So we had office space kind of wrapping all the way around that one side of the building. Um, but we grew, um, the chapters were a big part of our existence, um, you know, in the early 2000s. We, you know, the chapters were out there operating independently and um, they weren't all working well. So we tried to help with that. And we almost, um, we basically set up our own association management company. We called it ChapterNet and we tried to provide support to the chapters to help them, you know, be better managed. And we actually were paid to manage a few of the chapters um, and, you know, despite all those efforts, we ultimately decided that the industry really needed to consolidate under a single organizational umbrella. So, you know, 2005, I think, was the year that we dissolved the chapters um, and brought them in under the umbrella and created leadership councils, which kind of, uh, you know, function more as committees. So, you know, we spent a lot of time and energy in um, those early years, you know, working with the chapters, managing the chapters, trying to prop the chapters up in some cases, um, some of our chapters were really strong and, you know, stood on their own two feet. Texas comes to mind, certainly Florida, which is still Fabio today, California and others, Midwest. Um, so it was, you know, sort of driven by where we had critical mass and, you know, where we had volunteer leadership. But gosh, those volunteer chairs did a lot of work. Um, they were running their own little associations. So, you know, it was a hard transition for the organization to kind of move away from those chapters. But I think ultimately it was the right thing for Napier to do. And, the money that had been previously farmed out to the chapters came in um, under, you know, a, a managed 
approach to state government affairs where we had sort of folks, you know, who were experts in that area, helping to to work with the volunteers to make sure that we were protecting um, and promoting the interests of the industry. So, you know, that was a big move, not just from the chapter perspective, but for driving government affairs. Yep. And who got the short straw? Who was it who was in charge of selling the, the chapter restructuring? <laughs> so Carl Kleiman, who was, I think his company was Odyssey One Source down in Texas, nicest guy you'll ever meet. And gosh, we sent him into the lion's den. <laughs> and I think we wrapped him in sirloin steaks and said, go on in there and see how that goes. <laughs> but we figured if anyone could, could talk the chapters into coming along with this master plan that we had, it was it was Carl. And um, he really, you know, he really did believe that what we were what we were working towards was a good thing. And he was just so universally loved by everyone. Um, you know, he especially coming from Texas, the Texas chapter was one of our strongest chapters and they you know, they were reluctant to to give up their their independence. And I understand why. And uh, Carl really carried the flag for us and, you know, probably caught a few javelins to use a Pat Cleary phrase. <laughs> but he was the, the right leader. You know, he was the chair of NAPIO at one point or president at the time, I guess. Um, but Carl was a, a great guy. And, you know, I think he um, he he really uh, took on a role that probably nobody else wanted. So to this day, I'm yeah. really grateful for his leadership. It was great. Yeah. And Carl took on the UI issue for us in Texas, I remember, and I was the meeting yeah. was hugely contentious issue. Yeah. And he came in to like deliver his final report. And it was he was just great. He's like, okay, so these people think this and these people think that. And so I think this is a problem, this may be a problem. And so I think kind of this is where we need to go, what we need to do. And everybody's like, okay. It's a hugely contentious issue. And he was just he was great. I mean he just Everybody respected him and loved him, and he was straight and solid about how it went, and he was just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's start getting up to the important years, like really when your life began <laughs> in like December of 2011. <laughs> you were on the search committee. I was, I was. Um, yeah. Aren't you kicking yourself now? <laughs> no, it was, um, well, first of all, it was a, a really, it was a great privilege to be able to be part of the conversation. And I, I, to this day, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to, to be part of that process. And, you know, I think it shows a lot about our leadership that they wanted a staff voice at the table. And I will always um, appreciate that. And, you know, I tried to take that that role really seriously and and represent the interests of the team, you know, uh, the voice in the room. So it was a great experience. And um, we had a really dedicated uh, committee of people who were selected to help find our next CEO. And we spent a lot of time doing it. It was a really, in, you know, intentional and deliberate process. And we had, you know, good professional guidance. But at the end of the day, the members who were on that committee really spent a lot of time um, trying to make sure that our next leader was the right person. So it was a, it was a great experience. And failing that, you got me. Okay, so <laughs> how is the <laughs> how has the industry changed? Like in twenty six years, what what kinds of changes and what what obviously it's more professional, but like everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, when I first started, um, I was still hearing stories of how in the early years, NAPIO board members, then NSLA board members would come to board meetings and meet, and then they would run out to the, this is going to date me, but run back out to the phone booth to call back to their office and see if they were still open for business because there was a genuine fear <laughs> that regulators were going to shut down the industry. And 
it was um, it was survival. And, you know, the things that they were fighting for in the States were about survival. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of the the early years um, because of NSLA and APO, our members, um, we worked through that and a lot of hard work by our members, you know, in a number of states, you know, starting to build relationships and advocate and help educate their fellow industry members to make sure people were doing things the right way. You know, every, it seemed like every few months we we hear about a black eye, someone's, you know, failure or, you know, front news, front page paper story where you've got a baby in the NICU whose costs aren't covered because their PEO went south. I mean, you don't really want that kind of attention. So the first, you know, the early years were, were hard and I wasn't even there for the hardest of them. I kind of heard about those um, and then, you know, as the industry gained some traction and we had some really strong leaders in the space who were doing good things and, and helping to lead the way, you know, I mentioned all the money coming into the industry in the late 90s, which was great. And we got a lot of attention on Wall Street, a lot of interest, um, from new entrants to the industry. And then, you know, over time, it's been a long, um, you know, it's been a long road and a lot of people have worked really hard to ensure this industry has a place and, you know, we kind of take for granted now that a lot of people know what a PEO is. That wasn't always the case. So certainly the work that, you know, you started and, and Carrie and her team have taken on, you know, in the last 10 plus years has made the difference um, on the government affairs side. Certainly the passage of SBEA was huge. Um, you know, Tom and all of the members uh, who've been working on that for years and years, I think we determined it was like a 17 year process. Um, you know, those were game changers for NAPIO. And now I think, you know, we always want more. We want more recognition. We want, you know, more states to pass our model act. We want, you know, more certainty. We want, you know, we're we're getting greedy because we can. And all the work that the members have done all these years, you know, with NAPIO's guidance has has really made the difference. And we're still a young industry and there's so much um so much potential out there. Um, I love how the industry's embraced technology. That's obviously been a game changer and I think it's made things more scalable. Um, I love that it's a mix of, you know, there's some really big players in the space and there's a lot of companies that are doing a really great job at a regional level who are, you know, really focused on, on their clients in their hometown and doing it really well and then everything in between. So, I mean, I think COVID obviously changed the, the footprint of the industry for every industry, but certainly for ours. Um, but it's a good thing. I think it's, um, it's expanded the reach for PEOs of all sizes and it's really allowed us to demonstrate our value. And the videos we did about how PEOs helped companies in COVID. I mean, that was amazing. And I think what's, um, you know, I've been asked a lot of times over the years, why have I stayed so long or why have I been in this industry for so long? It's because it, it's amazing. I mean, it's been, we've had the unique opportunity to build an association alongside an industry. And that's, um, you don't get that everywhere you go. So it's been a really exciting run. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's funny, I was going to ask about something else, but because you mentioned COVID, what was that experience like? I mean, yeah, I mean, gosh, it's, you, and I, you and I lived it together. We did. I mean, it was, we were going through the same conversations that every business, you know, owner or you know, manager does. And that, I remember that, you know, Thursday, the 12th of March, we had just come back from New Orleans where we were with a board meeting. And actually, even after that, um, I think our group had been down in, in Nashville for the risk management workshop. So in the you know on the very days before COVID, we had we were hosting events. Um, but yeah, I remember sitting there thinking like, is this is this real? And we you know sat down around that table upstairs and figured out that it was time to send everybody home and we'd see what would happen. And never did we think it would be you know more than a year before we were 
back in the office on a regular basis. So scary. And, you know, I'm sure again, all of our members were feeling the same thing. It was something. Yeah. 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 I just, I remember talking to you about, you know, I talk about this all the time. I talked to you about what shutdown would look like, right. For us, because mm-hmm. we thought it was lights out. Right. And, uh, Miraculously, we came back. What's um? It's funny you mentioned before about the industry early on. I talk about this all the time too. Is that survival? Uh, that changes everything, doesn't it? When that's the issue, right? It does. But I have to say, um, you know, one thing that's never changed is for those um, businesses and employees who are, you know, benefiting from a PEO, whether they're the client company or the worksite employee. Um, they have seen the value from day one. Um, so I think, you know, it's funny. Um, they always, I remember hearing the story that even when PEOs would fail, the clients would just look around and be like, okay, well, where's another PEO that can take us on? They don't run away from PEO. They run to just a better PEO. So, I mean, despite kind of the, you know, the bumps of our early years, which I'm sure every industry experiences, um, the client base we we have is stay loyal, and that's because the value proposition is very real um, for employers and and their worksite employees. So, you know, I am I've had the benefit over the years of taking a lot of calls from um, you know prospective PEO clients who are just calling the association for information, and I have the benefit of being able to speak as both the association for PEOs and as a user of PEO, and um, it's a, a very easy story to tell, and that's why I mean it's just so. Even with all the progress we've made in terms of our reach in the small business marketplace, there is so much more out there for us to take. I mean, there's so much more opportunity and so many more businesses and employees to serve. And that's, I mean, gosh, it's a, it's just a, it's a great outlook. I mean, it really is. Yeah. 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 So I, I get frustrated when people, you know, raid one another. It's like, no, there's you don't need so to. much blue ocean. there. You, you really, you really don't, you really don't need to. Um, so I know you're biased, but what, uh, What's the what's your outlook for the industry? You've been here for a long time. You've seen us through a lot of ups and downs. And what are the headwinds? Flip sides of the same coin. What, what's yeah, your outlook? I mean, and what are the headwinds? <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's so funny because I feel like there have been so many times in my twenty some years of being around this industry where people felt nervous or scared or hey, this is going to shut us down or put us out of business or you know we're going to have to compete against this or that. And I think as we've shown all these years, we survive it. Um, We've got really, really smart people in this industry, really um, diligent entrepreneurs who want to find a way forward and are really creative about doing so. And, you know, you see people build a company, sell it, exit. And then a few years later, they pop back up because they love it. And they bring those, you know, that great knowledge back and they build something new, which is, is, is awesome. But I think, um, you know, I guess my, my point of bringing all that up is that, you know, there's really nothing you can throw our way that we can't work our way through. And, you know, I know there was concern about all the, you know, the sort of technology platforms that kind of look like a PEO. And there's a place for those. And there are going to be clients that are better suited for those. But, um, you know, it's the HR without the H and we've got the HR. So I think, um, again, there's space. The small business marketplace is huge. And we fill a niche that no one else does, and we do it really well. So I think there's great opportunity going forward. Um, there's you know money coming into the industry. You know companies are are growing, and worksite employees you know are growing. All those numbers are pointed in the right direction. Um, and I think even through I was looking back over financial ratio survey numbers, even through the 2008 2009 recession period, and yeah, there was a dip, but we came back and. 
you know, I think uh, it's just, a, it's a, it's a great way forward. In terms of headwinds, I think it's the same, some of the same headwinds that any businesses are facing right now. Cyber is huge. I mean, that's a big concern and technology is so integral to what our member companies do, what PEOs do that we got to figure that out. We got to keep working at it. And it's a tough, it's a tough issue. It takes a lot of resources. It changes every day and, you know, you don't know what to be afraid of next. Um, but that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, I mean, in acquisitions, yeah. changing the, the profile of the industry, I think, um, again, you know, it's new, it's different than what we were seeing, you know, 10 or so years ago, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure out what that looks like on the other end. What uh, What's your advice to someone new in the industry other than joining Navio? What's your advice to somebody new to the industry? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I um I'm spoiled because my my view has been fairly limited to Napio these last 20 some years, but when I talk to other association colleagues, I'm pretty sure there is no other association um, in America where competitors are so collaborative and work so well together. And there are so many people in this industry who are willing to help a guy out or a woman out, whoever it is, um, just in the interest of, of pushing the industry forward. Um, that, you know, anyone coming in would be crazy not to come to an APO conference and talk to as many people as he or she can. Um, we've got a lot of, uh, of really generous people, generous in that they're willing to share their expertise, their advice. Um, and I, you know, I think that would be my first piece of advice is get to know your, get to know your colleagues in the industry. And, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's a shortcut that you can't find in a book or on a website or in a consultant is talking to other people in the industry. And, you know, it's not just about friendships. We got a lot of great friendships in this industry, but it's about, you know, building these good relationships. You, know, you hear about PEOs not able to, for whatever reason, not able to help a client. So they give it, turn it over to one of their competitors. Hey, can you help this guy out? He's like, I can't take him on for whatever reason. So it's just never seen anything like it. And I think it's pretty unique to our, our association. I don't think you see that in every trade group for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, you've heard me say, I mean, I came from manufacturers, nice people. We all got along, but I've never seen this level of collaboration to see in this industry. Um, yeah. So what what jobs have you had at Napier? Can you think, <laughs> can you remember? Like, I just laugh because there've been a few times over my time at Napier where someone was like, so what do you want your title to be? So I, I remember at one point I started out in, you know, as membership. I think I was director of membership. And then I was doing a lot of, um, I was, promoting a lot of things. Like I was trying to sell ads and membership and publications. We used to sell videotapes and gosh, Clay Kelly used to have a whole, you know, library of sales tools that we sold. So somewhere along the way, I'm like, I think I would like to be called marketing too. So I throw that on my title. And then I remember Richard Rawson decided that he was, you know, obviously doing a lot of work in the, in the, you know, capital market space. So managing director was a big title, you know, at the time in the investment banking community. So somehow we all became managing directors, which sounded very important. So I think those were my pre, those are my early year titles. And then somewhere along the way, um, I think, uh, I'm not sure when COO came along, but I was kind of operations is a good general term for everything that doesn't fit anywhere else. So that's kind of what I became. So I think those are the titles, membership, membership marketing, Managing director of membership, and then eventually coming back, I think, as COO. So it's been, uh, yeah, I think I've had that for a while. I've had the same box of business cards in my drawer for a while. I don't use too many of those. So that's kind of how I measure my my uh, tenure and titles. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I just realized I'm running out, but I'm probably not going to order anymore. That was the thing. So 
Well, here's a funny story. So yeah. yeah, so I was digging around at my desk recently and there are still folders in Napio's offices that have my mother's handwriting on them because once upon a time, we had to pull in moms to help us get through a conference because we were so understaffed. And so my mom came and she was creating some organizational files for me. So every once in a while, I'll trip across a, a folder in a drawer somewhere that has my mom's handwriting on it. So that gives you a little perspective on how we used to run. Right. A little bit of like a startup mentality, right? A little bit. That was the thing. Um, so here's the thing. Okay. So uh, my favorite question, what is something people don't know about? You? Not me. You'd be hard pressed to something I don't know. Um, but, or maybe not. Maybe not. So what is something that people don't know about Melissa Biscuit? Yeah. So, um, all right. This is a little, I think this will come as a little bit of a surprise to you even. So I am, um, I secretly aspire to be an artist. I actually used to do, I took a lot of art classes growing up. When I was in college, I took as many drawing and painting classes as I could without sacrificing my ability to graduate in four years because that's all my dad would pay for. Um, but I love art and I'm not particularly good at it, I don't think, probably because I haven't really invested the time, but I really love drawing and painting. And I, one of my most favorite gifts growing up as a child for Christmas was of my first box of real acrylic paints that I got. I think I was in second grade. That was huge. I felt like a real, real artist. Um, but yeah, so I've tried here and there to kind of re, you know, reignite that part of my personality. I, I made Carrie go take a calligraphy class with me a few months ago. And um, that's probably how my artistic abilities will have to manifest and something like that. Um, but yeah, I would love at some point to spend more time kind of revisiting that part of my past because I enjoy it. And again, I don't know if I'm any good at it. It doesn't, I don't even care if I am. It's just something I enjoy. So yeah, you didn't know it, but I'm a little bit of an artist. I did know it. Did I give you art lessons for gift one Christmas? No. Well, we did go paint uh, for Christmas that time, Christmas party. <laughs> I still have that painting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't really um, okay. fit the rest of my personality. Like I'm kind of a, a otherwise a little bit yeah. of a, you know, spreadsheet number cruncher yeah. um, type Great. A personality, but I got a little bit of artistic uh, interest in me somewhere. Obviously. I thought you were going to mention the archery. That was really impressive. <laughs> you taught archery. Archery and riflery. Yeah, back in the day. I know. Were they loaded? Yeah, air, well, they were air rifles. But nothing scarier than an eight-year-old at a summer camp pointing a gun at you as you're trying to teach them how to shoot at a range. Hey, I'm from New Jersey. I'm used to that. <laughs> um, that's, a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. Okay, and you are you are sailing away from us. And tell us where you're going. What's the next move? I am. So I'm going to be going to work uh, with the Pharmacy Quality Alliance. I will be their chief operating officer. Um, they're uh, an organization dedicated to improving medication safety, adherence, and use. So they do uh, quality measures, um, education, convening. They work in the pharmacy space. And uh, they're based here in the D.C. area, but they have uh, employees all over the country. A um, big part of what they do is research-based, and then they've got some education and conferences, and then, of course, the operations area that kind of runs everything. So that's my next step. So if we need pharmaceuticals, are you the person we should call? <laughs> I'm not just saying asking for a friend. <laughs> asking for a friend, some, some stuff like that. Um, okay, well, you know, I, I'll go all John Boehner if I go too much, but we will miss you terribly. Uh, you've been just such a, a great uh, 
you know, right hand. And in truth, I'm your right hand, but you were nice enough not to tell anybody that. Um, it's the other way around. Um, it's just been been so great. And I just love working with you. And the 12 years have, been, uh, have, flown, have flown by. For you, I'm sure they've dragged. But no, they've really been great. And I, I really just uh, wish you all the best. And I'm going to miss you every day and uh, just wish you the best. And I would uh, be remiss if I didn't say, don't be a stranger. You know, come back and visit us from time to time. Come on Thursdays because, you know, we have lunch together on Thursdays. So come by on a Thursday. You're just going to be down the road. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to miss you. So I, I just I wish you all the best. Well, I appreciate that. And I guess uh, I'd like to close by saying just a big thank you to to you um, for being a great mentor, a great friend. And um, hopefully that doesn't change even as I lead the organization. It um, but yeah, all the members, I mean, I'm just, I've been so incredibly lucky to be surrounded by um, the amazing people who make up this industry, um, both our team at APO and the members out there that I've worked with over the years. And as I said to you earlier, um, I intend to continue to, to preach the gospel of PEO. I believe in it. I think it's a great, um, I, I think it's a great solution for small business. And I will continue to, to share that message wherever I go. Um, and I'm, you know, I can't wait to see where the industry goes. There's, there's great stuff ahead and I um, I look forward to, to watching it all unfold. Well, thanks again so much for the time today. I really do appreciate it. And I know you're busy trying to get things wrapped up and, uh, you know, uh, packed and all that stuff. Um, but I really do appreciate it. We covered a lot of ground today. Anything we missed? Any, any final points you want to make? Yeah, you know, while I have the microphone, which isn't that often, I want to take a minute just to uh, to say thank you to my team, our team at Napio. It's an, an amazing group. Um, you know, Robin, um, it's been such a pleasure to work with you all these years. You know, she's done amazing work um, on events and now membership. Um, you know, she's building a great team. She's got Katie, Amy, Andrea, Ellie working with her, Connie as well. Um, you know, Carrie, I mentioned her earlier, but, you know, she's done amazing things with marketing communications, um, a lot to be proud of there. And I mean, it's just amazing to see how things have evolved in terms of awareness and, and branding and, and advertising and everything else that she's done there. She's got a great team in Chris and Evan, and of course, Raj. Um, you know, Nancy, gosh, Nancy's been here as long as you have, Pat. And um, we always joke about, like, be careful, you keep your wallet close when Nancy's around. But Nancy's really built not just, um, you know, financial resources for the association, but relationships with our service partner community. And that's that's really amazing. And of course, the uh, the government affairs team, Tom uh, and Nick, especially, and then joined by Jason, Kristen, and Emily, uh, the work you guys do is not easy. And um, it's a thankless job. Sometimes you can work and work and work on something. And at the last minute, it doesn't go your way, but you guys never give up. Um, you keep, uh, you know, keep working at it out in the trenches. And, and that's really making a difference uh, for our members, which is great. And then others at the office, you know, Kim, um, she does a great job keeping us together at the office. Um, and of course, ending with you, Pat, thank you for everything. As I said earlier, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without you. And I, I think you're, uh, um, you've been an amazing uh, mentor, inspiration, friend, and everything else for me here at APO. So I hope I didn't miss anybody, but really everyone that we we have on board is, is great. And I will really miss working with, with all of you. So I'll end there. Well. I, I wouldn't be where I am without you either. So so we're even. So it's great. <laughs> Sounds good. So Melissa Descovich, thank you so much, Helen. Farewell. Thanks. Okay.